So today on the Timana podcast show, we've got Jonathan Edgley, the owner of Montrose Advisory. Mate, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. It's great to be here. So tell me about Montrose Advisory and what it's all about. Absolutely. Okay. So Montrose Advisory is set up to provide health and wellness concierge services to individuals, to families, people who are looking for private healthcare. I mean, given the situation and the capacity to which the NHS are operating at at the moment, people are looking outside of that and are wanting to get the right type of help. So we offer three key areas. So physical health, mental health, lifestyle health. And essentially what we do is we find the right people for our clients that meet their needs, desires, wishes. Why did you, why is it called advisory? Where's that sort of come from? Why have you called it Montrose Advisory? It's a good question. And it's an interesting one really, because there are many concierge businesses that provide lifestyle concierge, you know, getting concert tickets or black carpet, uh, red carpet dues and, yeah. and all of these kind of things. Um, or there are health concierge, right? And what I wanted to do was I wanted to be able to offer an advisory service rather than just a pure concierge. So what I'm doing is I'm advising my clients rather than them thinking I'm just finding them the best deal, right? Or offering them something that's exclusive. What I'm doing is I'm taking time with my team to understand what it is that they actually need. Because without that consultation piece, we can often miss key parts of what somebody actually needs versus what they want. That's really good, that, mate, isn't it? I mean, you get a lot of people wanting something, but it's not actually what they need. And by you doing what you do and asking the right questions and stuff, you have to find out what they actually need. Exactly. Now, look, I mean, I can sit here all day telling you what, what I think I want from, okay, so from a physical health perspective, I want this. And from a, from a lifestyle perspective, I want a yoga coach. I want a therapist. I want a nutrition you know, I want to, I'm going to do a fasting diet. Well, yeah, great. But, but why, number one? And how do we know that these things are going to suit you from a biological perspective? But also, you've got to understand the different disciplines in each one of those areas that you want to improve your health in so we can match you with the right professional. Because there are lots of different types of modalities for different types of yoga, different types of physical training, strength and conditioning. And then from a nutritional perspective, well, there are lots of things that, that need to be taken into consideration um, and matching them appropriately to, to each person. So they're, they're getting a very good service that's totally personalised. Can we talk about, I know we said it before, about the dope dealer to hope dealer yeah. and talk about Jonathan Edgley a little bit and where you've kind of come from to have the inspiration and vision to set up Montrose. Of course. Tell me about that journey. Sure, I will, it's, absolutely. Because I think it's important that we get this bit out because this is really the reason that you you do what you do. Absolutely, and, I, and I'm grateful that you're giving me the time and space to be able to share about it. because yeah. it, It's an it, important message, mate. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, and, and, and ultimately everything I do in my life is driven by my past and by my experiences and what happened. Okay. 
the things I had to go through and overcome, the challenges I had to overcome to get to this point today gives me so much gratitude and enables me to go out there and, and, and do this type of work. It's very close to my heart, so forgive me if I get emotional it's as fun. we talk, but um, you know, I, I, I realized at a very young age that I felt a bit different. Do you mean as in you didn't fit in, there was something you thought differently to everybody else? I felt restless. Yeah. I felt quite irritable, felt discontent, I felt detached, you know, and I, I started to see quite early on in my life that I, I was thinking, behaving differently to the other children in, in my class. And I was a very sensitive child growing up, and I'm, I'm a very sensitive adult today still. Um, I'll talk a bit more about that later on. But when I was growing up, I didn't really like to conform. I struggled with authority. My school reports would always say, lovely lad, could try harder, right? That sounds like mine. Sure, yeah. I know a lot of people I've met who were quite similar to mine. I remember when I went from primary school to secondary school and it was like the whole world just opened up and lit up. I met some lads who were from another part of town to me and they were living a very different life and I was immediately attracted to what they were doing, yeah. how they spoke, what they wore, how they acted, you know, what music they listened to. And it completely changed my life moving into secondary school. And I thought it was like finding the Holy Grail. Right. You found like you found your people. You I tried. found my right. people. You know, it says find your tribe and love them hard. Yeah, yeah. And God, I did. But what that then gave me was an introduction to drinking, smoking, dope, acid, yeah. speed, ecstasy, cocaine. And these drugs changed how I felt, right? And I loved it. Yeah. Because I didn't like how I felt. I felt at dis-ease with myself and the world. And then as soon as I started taking, drinking and, and taking uh, weed or speed, I lit up. It gave me a completely different perspective and I felt connected, right? And I felt alive and I felt like 10 men. I felt confident. I could do anything. I could talk to anybody because yeah. I was a shy. I think a lot of people can relate to this. Mate, oh, you know, I was terribly shy. You know, look, this, is, this was a real pivotal point in my life. And I, I share this a lot. Because um, you, you find your identity at that time, aren't you? You're kind of sort of developing into the person that you become without knowing what you're actually doing to yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I remember being at school, Tim, and I was asked by a teacher in a lesson to answer a question and I could feel myself burning up. And I thought, I'm so scared yeah. of getting this wrong and everyone laughing at me. I've got to get out of this class. So I made a song and dance about a situation, said something to the teacher and got thrown out of class. Yeah. So I would rather do that 
and get detention to escape that feeling of inferiority and people laughing at me yeah. and, and, and just couldn't do it. So by taking the drugs, that went instantly. Yeah. You know, I was, on a, I was operating on a higher plane. And as we went through school, I got into the rave scene. Yeah. You know, we would be out every weekend, just living for the weekends. You know, Saturday afternoon, we'd be stood in the record shop, getting flyers, buying tickets, and we're going to the clubs. And that was that. You know, I loved it. My education suffered. I didn't get any GCSEs. I left school with no qualifications whatsoever. And I got, um, and, I, and I went into some training scheme, which my parents were really unhappy about. But I think it's important to also say, my mum, God rest her soul, alcoholic. You know, my dad not. My mum at home drinking, my dad away working. Yeah. You know, I used to get home from school sometimes, Tim, and find my mum on the floor passed out. Yeah. Um, and that really scared me. But I always vowed that I would never be like that. Be like that. You know, from a young age, I'm never going to smoke, I'm never going to drink, I'm never going to do any of that stuff because I don't want to be like that. Yeah. And I resented my mother. Yeah. We had a very difficult relationship for lots of different reasons. But genetically, I'm predisposed to addiction. Right, so the writing's on the wall, early doors. My dad can see it. Yeah. I can't because I'm just living the life. This is just how we are. But I was rebelling against my parents, rebelling against society. <clears throat> you know, I wasn't going to conform. I was just living for the weekend and going out dancing, and that yeah. was that. So in nature, you're quite an introverted person, kind of knows when to turn it on. But back then, you didn't know you're an introvert. Taking the drugs made you into this alter ego. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I could do anything. Yeah. When I was drinking or, or using drugs, I could do anything. And look, at the end of the day, I was having a great time. Yeah. They hadn't got hold of me at that point. And I had a degree of, I don't know if I can even use this word, but I'm going to, control because it was a weekend thing, you know, with smoking dope yeah, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But it was a slippery slope from there. I'm... A salesman by trade, yeah. right? A humble salesman, and um, but I was good at it because I can talk quite well. I'm quite likable, yeah. and um, I got into sales quite early on. So 17, I was working, and I progressed, and I was doing all right. Bought myself a 205 GTI, all of that thing. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Having yeah. a great time again. Early 20s, brilliant. Life's going good, got some money, bought my house. Yeah. So on the outside looking in, people are like, this guy's got his shit together, he's doing all right. Yeah. But on the inside, yeah. I'm full of anxiety, I'm full of fear, I'm scared. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm starting to have panic attacks, I'm starting to get really, really ill, right? In what, what age were you then when you were... So I'm, this is my early 20s. So I'm talking 22, 23, 24. Right. Um, my life changed completely because of the panic disorder that I that I got to the point. Some days, the only way of getting out of my house and into my car was crawling on my hands and knees. I could not walk, couldn't stand up. Wow. It was that bad. But I couldn't stop smoking dope, and I couldn't because st- at that point the drinking for me took the edge off the anxiety. So all of a sudden, I'm feeling anxious, I'm having a drink, 
and it's 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 it's, it's, it's leveling me out. And what are you drinking at this point? What you... So I'm I'm probably drinking three, four, five pints a night. So you know, not crazy, but it's consistent. Yeah. And then at the weekends, I'm out. Binging. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I'm back in work Monday. Um. But it wasn't playing out the way that I, I had hoped. People were starting to recognise, you know, what was going on. Started to see that I got a bit of an issue, and. Um, Things started to just deteriorate. I got caught drink driving, I lost my license, I lost my job. So every all these lovely nice things I had sort of disappeared. So my, 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 my life started to uh, implode to the point where in 2006, my father met me in a pub, oddly, after a couple of beers said to me, look, I'm really worried about you, son. You know, he'd expressed a concern a lot, but, you know, just pushed it back. And he said to me, look, I think you're an addict. And I said, hang on a minute, that's a bit strong. I don't think I'm that. Um, and he said, I'm going to, I want to help you. And I, I, want, I want you to consider going into rehab. I'm like, okay. I said, okay. All right. I'll do it because my life was in was in a place that it wasn't enjoyable. I wasn't having fun. I was drinking too much. I was taking coke. I was doing all the things I shouldn't be doing. Right. I couldn't open the post that was coming through the door. Got bills stacking up. HMRC. All of this stuff. I just could not even deal with. I couldn't deal with life. Do you like to put your head in the sand? Completely. So. By my father offering me rehab, I saw it as like a get out of jail card. And I thought, I'll and, take and that. And did you admit to yourself that you're an addict at that point? Or no. you're just like, look, I've got a serious problem here. I don't know what it is. I'll just kind of. I didn't think I got a serious problem, Tim, right? Mm. What I thought I got was a bit of a habit. Life was just become a bit unmanageable. What I was able to do was rationalise and justify what I did in my own mind. Because I'd look across the road and I'd see a homeless person, right, stereotypical, drinking out a bottle, injecting heroin. I'm going, well, I'm not doing that. Right. So I'm not that bad. So that's the how I... The that you tell yourself. Exactly. Right. So that's how I justified my existence and my, my drug use and my alcohol use, you know, at that point. So when somebody comes to me and says, you're an addict, I go, no, 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 that's an addict. Right. I've got a bit of a habit. I just need, you know, just need a bit of help. So I took the, took the offer of rehab and I flew out to South Africa. South Africa? Yeah. Right. And arrived in rehab on New Year's Eve, right? Just going into 2007 and I thought, great. Okay, we'll get here, probably have some champagne, bit of fireworks, you know, have a great time, bit of dinner. And uh, I was met with a bag search and a couple of Horlicks and a nine o'clock curfew. <laughs> so not what I expected. So why South Africa? What, what was the reason? Well, there was two reasons. Firstly, my dad wanted to get me as far away from the UK as possible because some things... And the had, circle he had around you. Some things had started to happen, which I'm, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to share about today. But, yeah, but, yeah. but life was becoming quite difficult and uh, concerning for my for my dad. Yeah. 
So getting me over there was a three month program. It gives them some respite as well. Yeah. Because they'd, they'd had enough. You just you want know. like whatever, just to not worry about you knowing that you're, you're somewhere and exactly right. knowing I was safe somewhere else. Somebody else was taking care of me. Yeah, and that's what happened. So I went out there, and I was. It was a very like ego deflating experience because I'm like, yeah, thinking, thinking I'm. Once you're in there, can you leave at any time? Yeah. Yeah. You can, but I didn't. <laughs> a few people did, but I didn't. Because I, 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 my, I wanted to honour what my dad was doing for me yeah. because it was, it was an expensive experience. Yeah. Um, and I knew deep down that I needed some support. At any point through that rehab experience, did you admit to yourself that you were an addict? Was there a point in there that I just thought, you thought, fuck... Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So it's it was a, a twelve step rehab, mm. which is um, a program that's used by Alcoholics Anonymous and, and other what they class as fellowships. Yeah. But it was a twelve step rehab, so there was a very strict program that I had to undertake whilst I was there. And and the first step was looking at my life in a, in and looking at the unmanageability associated with my life and my drinking and my drug use but also the powerlessness around it i.e i had no control you were in control i didn't have any power yeah i was powerless yeah i'd given all my power away to the drink and the drugs yeah you know so seeing that and help you know hearing that for the first time and seeing that thinking cry you know probably something bigger here going on than i thought and then just going through the process of, of the steps, what happened, it was like peeling off the layers of an onion. You know, the hard manky shell at first, and then you sort of get into some beautiful... Right. So these are kind of the masks that you've put on over and you've got to strip all that back, get rid exactly. of the layers of the ego and stuff. Get and, to the core. Right. So the recovery is an inside job. Yeah. And what I needed to do was to strip years and years of denial away, okay, from me in order to get to what was really going on um, and that took some time and that's why I was there for 12 weeks because it took time for me to accept so I go through process and I talk about this a lot the the, the process is uh, I acknowledge I accept and then I move into action right so acknowledging that I got a problem yes I'd done that because I wouldn't have gone there in the first place but I, did I, I acknowledge that I'm an addict? Well, on some level, with some reframing, I start to understand a little bit more about the disease concept. Okay, so I can get on that. And then actually, am I willing to accept it? Well, actually, acceptance is the only way for me to be able to move through to that place of action. So I had to surrender to win, essentially. But once I'm into that action space, yeah, yeah. game changer. But... I mean, surrender's a, a big thing and a huge thing. Mm. People letting go of that ego, letting, you know, being vulnerable. Not that many people want to be vulnerable, do they? No. No, they don't. How hard did you find that bit of actually sort of like letting go of the ego and surrendering? Yeah. It was a process. So it didn't happen right. overnight. There were things that were happening 
Yeah. And there were things that, and bits of information that I was hearing in a different way to the way I'd ever heard them before. This is a different story that someone else is telling you that you've been telling this once, right? Exactly. Reframing perspective. Right? So I'll give you an example. Yeah. So we were in group therapy and we're asked to write our life story. Okay. And I'm sharing my life story in front of 10 other people. And at the end of the session, they can give feedback, comment. So you're putting yourself out there. That's right? that thing that's standing up in class again, isn't it? And you don't want to, you know, it's going right back to that. I'm you know, petrified. everyone's going to laugh at me. You know yeah. what I mean? I, shall I say something and run away? You're going right back there again, exactly. aren't you? Uh, and I was petrified. But the thing that I'd done, because I knew that that's how I'm likely to feel, I'd done what I've always done, which is I embellish Right. And romanticise right. certain situations, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And that's what I did. So I thought I'm going to tell them a story, and they're going to love this. They're going to be on the edge of their seats with this. So it wasn't real, because I used to sit in pubs, Tim, telling stories about things that had happened yeah. that were embellished, that were dangerous, yeah. that were on the wrong side of the tracks. But I'd tell them in a way that where they sounded really exciting and exotic and you know, wonderful, like a film where people go, oh, tell us again. So I do this live story and they turn around and the people start giving me feedback. And the, the, the one thing that somebody said that's always stuck with me, he said, you are detached from reality. You are deluded. Fuck it now. You are in denial. And denial stands for don't even know I am lying. Wow. Wow. Yeah, heavy. Hey, fucking hell, I really like that. Heavy stuff, though. So I'm like, shit. So I've had the jam sucked out of my donut. Yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm ego deflating exercise and I'm crying in my room and I'm like, holy crap. So these are the surrender points for me yeah. where I go, wow, next level of surrender. Because that's just the reality of that situation just hit me in the train, like, hit me in the face like a train. You know, so when I talk about surrender and I talk about acceptance and acknowledgement and action, it always happens over a time. There's process, there are things, there are clearings. There is information that needs to be dropped, acknowledged, dissolved, yeah. regurgitated, yeah. you know, to a point where somebody can stand correct and actually be honest and real about what's going on. So after the 12 weeks, you get to the point where you're at the end of it. And are you at that point ready to leave? Are you like, I've got a lot more work to do here. What was your point? Are you scared of leaving, getting back into mm. the same? What was your thought process at the end of it? Okay, so the first week there, my therapist, he said to me, Johnny, he said, you're a lucky lad. I said, why is that? He said, you've only got to change one thing. And I'm like, brilliant, what's that? He said, everything. <laughs> wow, fuck off. So I'm like, oh, right, okay, Shit. here we go. I don't think, I don't think he's right. Nah, yeah, you know, yeah. oh, forget that, I know what I'm doing. But over that 12 weeks, it got to the point where I'm, I'm probably two weeks from leaving and I extended by another month. So I, I was scared and I thought, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to leave. And I'm having a spiritual experience out there. Yeah. I'm meeting some amazing people who've been on some incredible journeys. I'm connecting with people on a heart level like I've never done before. Never done before. And I, I'm for the first time, I'm being the real version of me. 
and we're on the beach, we're going swimming, we're doing, we're doing all of these unbelievable experiences. And I'm thinking, this is just, this is heaven. This is, this is beautiful. And this, for the first time in my life, I feel comfortable in my own skin and content. But I'm scared. Yeah. And I'm not quite ready to leave. I don't think I've got all the answers I need yet. And this guy said to me, he said, you're never going to have all the answers. This, again, is a lifelong process. And you've got to get, got to keep getting back on the horse because you're going to get thrown off. So I did my extra time. I got dropped off the airport. I flew back over into Manchester. And I was, I was worried. It's like the world's being turned up in Technicolor. Yeah. You know, and I'm coming into landing like, and it's grey and it's drab and it's dark. And I'm like, oh, back into reality. Um, but I'd been told what I needed to do. Which was? So I got like a an aftercare plan, right. which was essentially go to meetings, i.e. go to 12-step meetings, go to AA meetings, go yeah. to Narcotics Anonymous meetings, Cocaine Anonymous meetings, work the steps again, get a sponsor, a spiritual guide, somebody who's going to take you through the work, somebody yeah. you've got, you're accountable to on some level. Yeah. Right? Somebody you can take this stuff to and talk to them about and they'll take you through the steps. Get service. Go and what that means is put the chairs out for the meeting. Go and make the teas. Pick up the fag ends. Go and do something. Be of service. Gives you to responsibility and be of service to others, not yourself. And get a higher power in your life. A power greater than you, right? Because you are not the be-all and end-all, Johnny. Step out of the way. Yeah. Connect to source. Where before you thought that you were the centre of the universe. Of course. Yeah. And I still can some days, don't yeah. get me wrong. I, and, and I can still sometimes land back in self and be yeah. quite self, because I'm a, I'm a selfish, self-centered person. And I have to work really hard to get to that point in place of neutrality yeah. around my illness, uh, which is a, 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 an illness that I believe is in my mind. You know, it's a, a spiritual malady. You know, so I've got to do the opposite of what my head tells me to do. Yeah. I can't be asked to go and see Tim. Just go and do that. No, get into some action, get into some, some positive moves. Go and see Tim, okay? Yeah. So these are the kind of things that I have to wrestle with on a daily basis. Um, what What is your sort of like sort of main daily practice then, mate? For you, like waking up in the morning. Obviously, you know you've got some good habits and stuff that you've learned to. You know what? What are those? Mm, yeah so it it's about routine yeah they say an addict on their own is in bad company right true yeah true story addiction is isolation recovery connection right so i have to be i'm back in my tribe you know so remember the story yeah. about at school yeah i've now got a different tribe and they're yeah. people who are like-minded who are in recovery who are yeah. doing good stuff spiritual beings you yeah. know and um, so each morning when I wake up, I surrender to the day. I live my day. I live my life in 24-hour chunks. Anything more than that can feel a bit overwhelming at times. So I've, start, I've learned to practice my life in 24-hour chunks. So what I do is I get up in the morning, I get on my knees, I say a prayer, right? And that's surrender. Yeah. I do my meditation. I do my gratitude list. I connect with my sponsees, so I sponsor people, and I connect with other people, see how they are, 
So everything I'm doing is is to get out of yeah. self, get out of the ego. The ego is the enemy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, massive. <laughs> to get yeah. out of self. Yeah. Be of service. Be of service. So I I, I then I'll I'll go down. We've just got a puppy, you know. We've we've we've. So I'm I'm now committed to servicing this dog, <laughs> taking him out, doing all of that yeah. kind of stuff, and and then I spend some time with my children, and then I go to the gym, and then I go about my day. And I generally go to a meeting in the evening, yeah. and then and I connect with others, and then I go to bed. I eat well, yeah. I exercise well, I try and look after myself, try and be a service to others, really. And that's, that's so, what it's so about. This is like your whole main mission for setting up Montrose, is it not? It is. It is. As my son said to me, after listening to an Eddie Hearn podcast, he's... 12 years old he said no passion no point dad right and and I said 100% and I'm so passionate about this stuff I love it and it doesn't feel like work yeah so I've got Montrose advisory which is uh, it, it is that sort of concierge business but I'm setting up Montrose retreats yeah and Montrose retreats is sort of taking things to the next level yeah so the Montrose advisory is kind of one-to-one -one basis that people come, but the Montrose retreats, it's almost like you're setting up to, you know, 10 people, 20 people, putting them, them kind of workshops on. No. Right, okay. No. So Montrose retreats is being being able to provide um, one guest. Right, okay. We're calling them guests. We're yeah. not calling them clients. We're not calling them patients. We're calling right. them guests. I'm calling it a retreat, not a rehab. I'm talking about health and wellness. I'm yeah. not specifically talking about addiction and mental health. We cover all of those aspects. Ultimately, this is a, a very personalized, bespoke experience for one guest yeah. at a time. They come to us, they stay in one of our luxury boutique cottages. Yeah. We wrap a team around them and we provide them with a soul nourishing experience to take them to the next level in life. So we talk about improving human performance, we look at um, we look at helping them to understand their thoughts, their feelings, their interactions better. We look at their nutrition. We we look at their well-being. We look at their physical health. We look at their mental, psychological, emotional health, and we take them through a process of recalibration mm -hmm. over a four-week period. So when the when so we then are able to provide them with all the tools. So they can live a, a life beyond their limiting belief. All the answers are within. Yeah. All we're doing is opening and unlocking rooms for people and empowering them. Not empowering them, we're empowering them. Yeah. We're giving them the information, they're absorbing it, they're understanding it, and they are empowering themselves to make new choices and new changes. How long is somebody out at the retreat? It's in the Peak District, isn't it? That's the retreat, it. Yeah. yeah. How long is somebody, depending on their what they want from this and what they actually need? How long can somebody be there? So typically, a guest will come for four weeks. Yeah. We can do shorter stays, but to be able to provide a full program experience, we we generally look at four weeks. The first part can be stabilization detoxification if somebody needs some help separating from alcohol or, or cocaine for example yeah. um, and then we provide 
you know, that sort of um, next stage, which is the therapeutic stage where we start to understand a little bit more about what's going on. For the accessibility to Montrose, Mm -hmm. obviously that is going to come at a cost. From your standpoint now, would you not put anything on where Montrose retreats kind of a little bit more like a weekend thing where you can be involved a little bit more and giving your experiences where it's almost like a weekend thing to sort of like build the brand because yeah. I, I'm not going to say I'm, how much it costed like do one of these retreats but like one person four weeks within one thing is obviously there's there's I'm not saying it's elitish but there's a there's a price point attached to that there is. the people that I feel that you could help the most are the people the sort of everyday people have you thought about putting something on where it's a bit more of a weekend retreat for mm. people? Absolutely. So there are lots of plans afoot yeah. to do different things to help different people at different times in their yeah. life. So, for example, being able to support people who are already in recovery, yeah, and we call it call it a second surrender, where they can come That's back cool. yeah. in a group, yeah, and we can we can just help them to. Yeah. Um, re-energize, recalibrate their their yeah. recovery, and just give it a fresh perspective and a new direction. Yeah. So we can do that, and we do that group work. Yeah. There are other things that I'm 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 not ready to talk about just yet. Yeah, yeah, coming yeah. soon. Yeah. That will cater um, for um, a, a a different need within a, a different market. Let's yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's with. Montrose and the way you set up the brand is very much on your experience and, and people's needs. Yeah. That's the, the, the main thing for me, isn't it? I've been really fortunate in my career um, that I've helped set up two very good services. Yeah. One in London, yeah. in Mayfair, one in Cheshire. I've worked with some brilliant people, you know, very good doctors, great consultants. Yeah wonderful teams and I, I've taken a, a, a lot of learning from what they've done but ultimately this is about bringing my lived experience into this process yeah working with doctors consultants and clinicians of course because I, I yeah. can't do what they do yeah and I know my limitation yeah but for me this is about providing an experience for yeah somebody. I was going to say it's more personalised experience that you are coming from Hundred percent. That it's not from a chart where you're just ticking boxes. This is an ultimate, like bespoke, tailored, personalized experience. Absolutely. You know, it has to be. Yeah. Because the square peg round hole doesn't work as a model, and the relapse rates, right, are too high for me. I want to be disruptive in a very positive way because I don't want my guests coming back. Yeah. I want guests coming and having a phenomenal time, you know, working through that trauma, you know, working through that really difficult emotional stuff that's kept them weighed down yeah. or stopped them moving on to that next level or or as, as, as getting into that relationship or... or that fragmented family life. Yeah. I want people to have, you know, a, a, a different level of experience, right, that I think can only be provided therapeutically. We need the doctors. 
to perform a particular service when it comes to detoxification, assessment, stabilisation. But as I said to you before we started talking, the therapeutic value right, of, 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 of one addict helping another is without parallel. We don't just work with addictions, of course, but I've got a team of people who I've handpicked personally who've all got life experiences and qualifications in what they do, of course. So this is not just a team of people I'm bringing together who yeah. are just having a go. At <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, far from it. But my therapists, um, my trauma therapists, my life coaches, my chef, you know, my nutritionist, every, my yoga teacher, everybody's had an experience that can help a guest and they're all ready to share and to talk about that stuff. So we work with people who've, you know, had an addiction, have a mental health issue, um, may have gone through a, a tricky divorce, you know, they may have had a traumatic life experience, they may have had a bereavement. There are a number of things that we can provide. So we can offer medical and we can offer non-medical. So somebody doesn't have to come with a medical need necessarily to, to have an experience with us. I think... Um the, the surrender bits really stuck with me mm. for everything that you said and I, I think you know out of all of it somebody just surrendering taking off the stories taking off the embellishments taking mm. off that and just stripping that all away just to become themselves because it's something I've been thinking about recently uh, like kind of the two words is my and me and how that people identify because obviously we work with brands and brands sure. identity and stuff and I always look to what a brand really is and the true identity of it where outside that's my car but it's not me I think too many people believe the word in my it means me mm. so without that car the nobody and I feel that people need to strip back and understand that that those things are not me they're just my yeah yeah they are assets yeah and there are classes of assets i've worked with um a lot of wealthy individuals over the years yeah who have different protective systems in place to make them feel better yeah make them look better and allow them to operate on a certain level within society yeah. because you know let's have it right a Range Rover or a Porsche or, or a Ferrari you know gives a certain image where people think oh they've done well yeah. I'd like a bit of that yeah. or look at that house or look at that watch or those holidays those Instagram photographs that these people are showing or a lot of it is nonsense. Yeah. And they're not able to show their real true self because they don't know who it is. They don't know what it is. So that surrender piece takes time yeah. to do. And it's <clears throat> almost layered surrender. Yeah. It's not one day we break down and we surrender. I mean, yeah. we see a lot of people do that, but they break down. But then the ego pops back up again and they're fired up again. So let's, for argument's sake, let me say, so somebody comes in and they're broken and I need some help. I, please detox me. Yeah. I just, I can't do this anymore. 
day one, still can't do two, I still day three, feeling a bit better. Day four, I'm eating again. Day five, chuggers my clothes. <sighs> day six, can I go for a drive? Day seven, do you know what? I think I'm all right now, I'm going. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. Wasn't that long ago you were crying, ask, begging for help. Yeah. Seven days, seven days after a 30 year career in yeah. drug addiction, you're fixed. We've not even done any internal work. So that's superficial. We've only done a separation from an external crutch. We've not even started to do the work internally. And that's where the magic happens. Right. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. How, how, um, how common is that experience where someone's coming broken and after the seven days they think, oh yeah, I'm sound now. Is that like a, an ongoing... It's quite yeah. common. It's quite common. Is it? Yeah. Because if, if, if we talk about addiction specifically, addiction is a really cruel, cunning and baffling, powerful illness yeah. that talks to us in our own voice and tells us every day we haven't got it. Right? And what happens is the further down we go, the harder our systems have to work to protect our thinking that we're actually okay. You know, we're all right. We can still show up at parties after not being washed for three days or, yeah. you know, turn up drunk or, you know, all yeah, right, yeah, all right, just don't look in the mirror. Yeah, yeah. You know, where we repair quite quickly. Mm. So all of a sudden when we're starting to feel better, we go, God, I didn't feel very well. And all of a sudden, I do feel really good. I feel so much better and I've got my appetite back and I want to eat. I fancy going for a walk and oh my gosh, look, I've, I'm looking outside and I'm talking to you and I'm, I'm eyeballing you. Wow. Great. So I often say to people, the stopping is relatively easy. The staying stopped is hard work. And that's when people have to really start to dig in yeah. and, and dig deep. Because it's not for the faint-hearted, this stuff. It's not easy. If it was easy, we wouldn't have rehabs, we wouldn't have retreats, we wouldn't have AA or any of those kind of self-help groups or, or the Samaritans or any of these other wonderful services. If everybody could recover like that. Yeah. Sadly, they can't. <clears throat> so if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, how would they get in touch with you and book on yeah. a retreat or do you come to advisory? Where would people find you? Well, what I wanted to say um, exclusively to, to this is that if there's anybody that hears this, mm. right, and is struggling or is worried about a friend or a loved one, they can call me, right, there's no charge and I will give freely of my time Amazing, mate. and my support Okay, yeah. and I will give direction to the best of my ability yeah. um, to, to help them find a, a solution. I can provide them with options. I can do all of that stuff um, and, uh, you know, just be here to, to, to help. I appreciate that, mate. I mean, I'll put the links down in the, um, in the comments below. Um, but if somebody wanted to find you on yeah. Instagram, yeah. what's your Instagram handle? So my Instagram handle is Jonathan underscore Edgley underscore Montrose yeah and um, my email address is je at montroseadvisory.co.uk perfect 
Perfect. Mate, I just want to thank you for coming on and, and spreading this message, mate. Honestly, it's um, it needs to get out there more identity, you know, stripping back the bullshit, stop putting, you know, these fake stories on embellishing your life and mm. stuff like it's just not good. It's not good for people. No. Um, I'm just hoping people go and follow your Instagram, look at the message you're spreading, mate. So Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Thank mate. Thank you for your time. Goodbye, Great. everybody. Bye. <laughs>